When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time once again for the Bama Online Podcast, this one on a Friday, July the 28th, 2023. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, this time alongside Senior Team Writer, Charlie Potter. And what do you know, Charlie? One of the last weekends that we'll have without football of some kind, I guess, whether it's practice, whether it's camp, whether it's the onset of games in the next month or so. We got football, football, football. How do you feel about that? It's crazy. It doesn't seem like it's really here, but I mean, hell, we're less than a week away from preseason games. Yeah. In the NFL, that's exciting. Um, but yeah, football practice will be here less than a week. And um, we'll hear from Nick Saban. We'll hear from the coordinators. We'll actually get to go to one practice. Uh, everybody will get to go to it, but. That's exciting. So um, I, I feel like I'm conflicted because I feel like it was a very long summer. But at the same time, I, I don't realize that it's actually less than a week away yet still. So it's it's kind of best of both worlds. Yeah, once it's here, it really hits you and slaps you in the face almost. I went out to yeah. uh, Jaguars camp yesterday to check out our Jacksonville Jaguars. Check out some Calvin Ridley, fresh from the Atlanta Falcons after that year off, courtesy of the NFL. Uh, Cam Robinson, speaking of suspensions, looking at a four-gamer <laughs> to open the 2023 campaign. But uh, that's when it hit me, sitting there watching practice yesterday. I was like, geez, it's here. And as you said, NFL preseason just right around the corner. Now, you're fresh from Nashville in the SEC media days. Give us a little bit of a inside into the event being held in the Music City. We're both very much on record as being proponents of Hoover. I think we're coming to grips with the fact that this is going to sort of be a a carnival of sorts moving forward, going from town to town, Dallas up next. Uh, but what did you think about Nashville as a first-timer with the SEC Media Days? I thought it was pretty good. Um, the setup, at least, was very similar to Hoover. Um, it was all in one space. You just go through the, the entrance of the hotel, go up the escalator, and boom, you're there. It, that's I like that, that it's all kind of you don't have to go very far to go to different um, interviews and stuff like that. Um, that was my biggest gripe with Atlanta, not to, you know, just dump on Atlanta here. But the fact that they had it in two different buildings and you had to ping pong between the two if you wanted to get multiple interviews with Nick Saban um, was annoying. And so I think Nashville did a good job. Um, the weather didn't permit. I know the SEC had some stuff they wanted to do like a concert that got rained out and things like that. But um, I think it, it, Nashville Nashville would be a good second option if they choose to never go back to Hoover. Now, next year is going to be a lot with Dallas. Next year's t- travel budget. Sorry, sorry, Tim. But <laughs> it's going to be wild with Dallas for SEC media days. You've got Norman, Oklahoma, Madison, Wisconsin. It's, it'll be a lot. But, um, yeah, I, I wish they would keep it in Hoover because it is so convenient and it's centrally located. But for me, if it were to stay in Nashville, I, I wouldn't have that big of a problem with that. 
you know, with Oklahoma and Texas now coming in and A&M already in the league, it kind of feels like there's going to be more of a push to go west with some of this stuff, specifically to the state of Texas, like SEC Media Days next year. We heard some rumblings at the end of the baseball season about, hey, how about one of the Texas venues, even for the SEC baseball tournament at some point down the road. But when it comes to Nashville and the central nature of it and then the facilities that are in place with men's basketball that should be the permanent home for the sec men's basketball tournament i can see it as a is a rotational part of the sec media days and you know they're going to build this new football stadium too up in nashville now i don't know how that's going to work weather wise Uh, there's a reason why i think the sec obviously likes the football championship game indoors in early december after a couple of games in some rough weather in birmingham back in the early 1990s uh but nashville on just about every front is a viable option i guess maybe not softball because vanderbilt doesn't play college softball but otherwise (laughs) uh bna place to be for a lot of people right now yeah i mean i don't Nashville's not a town that Alicia and I frequent because we're not big country music fans. But I, there's a lot to offer. I have friends that live there. It, it makes a lot of sense. And, uh, heck, it's the home of, of On3. Uh, got to see a lot should of familiar right? faces. That should be enough. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure Shannon Terry has enough pool that uh, SEC Media Days. He can get them to go there more frequently. But, um, no, I mean, I was – I went in – I don't know if I had expectations or just – had that thought of Atlanta in my mind and had that sense of dread, but I came away thinking like, okay, that was, that was pretty good. And um, you're right though. It'll be interesting to see what happens from a SCC championship standpoint. Cause I think it, it makes perfect sense in Atlanta. Uh, heck I miss the Georgia dome and uh, the feel of that place. That place Mercedes Benz is, yeah. Mercedes Benz is a great stadium. Don't get me wrong, but the Georgia dome was, was so easy from a media standpoint. Um, but yeah, I mean, I it makes a lot of sense for Nashville because of it being a, a big city. Um, you know, a lot of fans there. You have the SEC team in town, even though I don't know how many Vanderbilt football fans there are. But I'll be interested to see, you know, what they do next because Texas, you're right, it, it felt like that was coming. Heck, I, I know, you know, there's, there's people that go to these media events for the entire week and they go hard at night. <laughs> um, God forbid they, they put this thing in New Orleans, but uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Absolutely. And as a part of SEC Media Days, we'll get into some d- defensive talk coming up a little bit later, too. Maybe a little hoops as we wrap up. But uh, as a part of SEC Media Days on an annual basis, you had the media vote where it comes to the divisional uh, predictions and then the overall pick in the SEC for the upcoming season. What I wanted to get into, though, more today was Alabama's presence on the all-SEC teams. Three teams, first, second, and third team selections. Alabama checked all those boxes. And when the balance ballots excuse me, were counted, Charlie, J.C. Latham, Dallas Turner, Kool-Aid McKinstry twice, actually, as a defensive player and as a return specialist, Yet Neyland Hibbett, Will Reichert, all those guys, first-team selections. Second-teamers, Jace McClellan, Tyler Booker, Ja'Cory Brooks, Seth McLaughlin, Malachi Moore, Jaheim Otis, and Justin Aboigby. And then for your third-teamers, Jermaine Burton, Tim Smith, and Chris Braswell. My ballot, I had most of those guys. I did omit McClellan as a top-four option. 
at running back. Jermaine Burton wasn't among my wide receivers. Same for Tim Smith at defensive line and Chris Braswell. Um, guys who did make the the first, second, or third teams that I didn't have, um, or who did ma- who didn't make one of those three teams who I did have on my ballot. Uh, Darian Dahlcourt, Deontay Lawson. So do you want to disclose maybe how you went with some of those picks, maybe some surprises for you, uh, some guys that made it that maybe you weren't thinking would make it, and maybe a guy or two that I outlined or you had that um, should have made it, in your opinion? I think you and I are, are kind of aligned in the way that we were thinking. Um, I didn't have Jermaine Burton or um, really the third teamers. I don't think I had on my ballot. But I did have Deontay Lawson because I think he's in for a big year. Alabama needs him to have a big year. And uh, I, I have to go back and look. I think I had maybe Jace as number four, but it was sitting in the back of my mind just how deep Alabama's running back room is, and it's kind of tough just to pick one guy, even though I think now another year removed from that ACL injury that Jace could have a big year. Um, but I thought for the most part, Alabama's you know first and second teamers made a lot of sense. I was kind of surprised to see Neil and Hibbin on the first team line, uh, but I think I think this was the first time we got to vote for long snappers, and I think a lot of media guys that I'm lumping myself in that group uh, don't watch a lot of long snapper film, and the way that the ballot is constructed is listed in alphabetical order by school. So Alabama's the first one. I think people just probably pick maybe the first two or the name they they like the most, and. You know, that's no knock really on, on Neyland. It's really a knock on the, the voting process. And that could be a completely different discussion when you look at the guys that voted for Mandy to, to win the, uh, the SEC. But, um, yeah, I think for the most part, when looking at these guys and how they, they fell in the team, at least the first and second team, I don't really have any gripes just about the way that I voted. Yeah, well, I will say this. My one, my one thing is I would have, I would have had Tyler Booker uh, on the first line at, at guard. Yeah, I had Tyler as a first-teamer. I had J.C. Latham as a first-teamer, obviously, along the offensive line. Tyler Booker as a first-teamer. I had Darian Dahlcourt as a second-teamer. I know that's high based on a a lot of other lists. I had Seth McLaughlin as my second-team center. Um, So, yeah, I I do think we lined up in a lot of ways probably on these selections. But as for Neil and Hibbett, uh, still got thoughts of that Arkansas game in my mind from last year, and maybe it wasn't even Neyland's fault. I still haven't figured out what the hell happened on that botch punt, <laughs> right? Um, with with uh, Burnup and and how that played out in Fayetteville, but uh, you know he did have the fumble recovery. Neyland did against Auburn uh, in the Iron Bowl, so we got to give him some love for that. You're right, though. I think it's true with just about any position, though. It's it's tough if you cover a specific team because the reality is how much of these other guys have you really seen unless they play the team you cover. So especially with an emphasis on the East, I almost, if it comes down to picking between a guy, let's say picking an offensive lineman from Georgia or an offensive lineman from Kentucky, you kind of know which way I'm going to go. I mean, I'm going to probably go with George's offensive lineman after this last couple of three years. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's probably the way a lot of people you know view it. I mean, there's obviously you can't sit here as someone that covers a single team and know every player in the conference. There's some obvious choices. Like, I'm, I doubt anybody that voted didn't have Brock Bowers as their first team tight end. Um, you, you could probably guess who. Um, a lot of people had on their, their quarterback ballot, even though there's probably some discussion there. Running back makes a lot of sense. But then 
you know, I look at the way the wide receivers are voted. I didn't have Lad McConkey on my ballot at all, and he's a first team wide receiver. I didn't either. I think I think that's what the point that you're trying to make is that when in doubt, pick Alabama or Georgia. And um, again, I think that's a, a flawed system because we have so many people voting and probably so many people that don't watch games. But, um, you know, when in doubt, Alabama and Georgia players are pretty damn good. And so put them on the line, I think. Absolutely. And, you know, there's a lot of star power at a position like wide receiver that has to be replaced within the league. Jalen Hyatt, for an example, uh, at Tennessee, one of those guys. So uh, I think that's where it probably benefited a guy like Ja'Cory even. Uh, you know, it, it, if I wasn't sure about that group, I've seen enough of Ja'Cory at this point over the last two seasons to think, yeah, he could have that kind of year in 2023. Same for Jermaine. You know, I actually would have thought in retrospect – that based on the knowledge of the folks who had ballots in this thing, uh, Jermaine might have been the second teamer over Ja'Cory. I guess it's kind of splitting hairs at that point. But uh, those are the kind of positions where things were more up for grabs. Uh, I think the defensive line was similar. I thought it was great to see Justin Aboigby uh, as a second teamer. But, you know, this is a guy who missed, what, eight, nine games last season mm -hmm. and coming off a very serious injury. But, um you know, it speaks to the expectations, I think, for Alabama's defensive line, which we'll get into more coming up here in just a little bit, that, you know, they have a core group that is going to be expected to play uh, all three of those guys at this at least fringe all-conference level. Yeah, I mean, I think that the defensive line for this season is extremely important, and all three guys that are at the top of that pecking order made the team and so I think that your your typical fan probably didn't hear a lot about Tim Smith but um, I think those are Alabama's only three options on the team um, to make it clear for people that obviously don't see the ballot you can't just go and pick like Caleb Downs wasn't on the ballot you can't just go and pick anybody to put in there they're Alabama right will in. list yeah yeah Alabama will list players and you choose from it and that's the same for every team but uh, at the same time, though, I think the fact that all three were listed, it does lean toward the, you know, they play for Alabama, they must be good. But Alabama's defensive line, um, it, it hasn't been discussed quite enough because you have all the quarterback and the offensive line and just the general talk about Alabama. But for me, the way that unit plays this fall will determine a lot of the success of this entire defense because it'll free things up for the inside backers. If they're able to get into your pressure, that's going to help out the back end. So they need, you know, one or more of these guys to be that war daddy they've been missing. And I think all three have the potential to be an all-SEC candidate at the end of the season. Um, I think Jenny Motis kind of has the the highest of the ceiling because he continues to transform his body. But, um, yeah, I think if they can have these guys play at this level post-preseason, then this defense will be in pretty good shape. Defensive line in the league, another area where some significant star power has moved on, starting with Jalen Carter, the outstanding defensive lineman for the Georgia Bulldogs, now of the Philadelphia Eagles. So another area um, where you're going to expect some guys from Alabama to get the nod if if things are close. And um, I think you said it uh, for this defense, and we're going to get into that now. But what we're going to do as far as the defensive talk on this edition of the Bama Online Podcast, kind of just outline, give you an idea how things could change 
really from package to package. And I talked about going out to Jaguars camp on Thursday. And, you know, the first snap of team period and just about every snap thereafter, Charlie, the Jaguars defense was in the nickel package. Now, a lot of that has to do with the Jags now with Ridley to go along with Zay Jones and uh, Christian Kirk and then even Evan Ingram as a versatile tight end. I mean, that that's a team that opponents are going to have to play a lot of nickel against. And that's just going to be their base, how they roll. But even at the college level, as we've seen in recent years, nickel defense is essentially the base defense in 2023. And so, you know, you, again, start with those guys up front and uh, you talk about the front seven and kind of how it all relates to Alabama for the upcoming season. I think we have an idea of who some of the prime candidates are going to be when thinking about going from package to package. And that way, for me anyway, I think about Tim Smith. I think about Jaheim Otis. I think about Justin Aboigby, Deontay Lawson, Dallas Turner, Chris Braswell, Kool-Aid McKinstry, maybe Terry and Arnold, uh, Malachi Moore. Those are the guys that come to mind for me as we sit here on the verge of fall camp. But given the way things can shift, again, from package to package, I think there are some still quite a few x-factor guys for this defense um you know a starter in the base and or the big nickel may not be a guy who's out there when alabama goes to the dime rabbits or if the cheetah is still around this season but starting with the nickel charlie uh, because it is the package that ua is in most of the time these days there's some interesting possibilities to consider we just talked about a boygby and tim smith and jaheem otis Turner, Braswell at the outside linebacker positions. You're going to have the two inside linebackers in that nickel. You're going to have the five defensive backs. So that's really 12 guys for 11 spots right there. And again, up front where we'll start, I think those big three that we've outlined already on the podcast um, are, are great bets to be starters in the, in the base and in the big nickel. But, you know, when they go to more of a pass rush look, Charlie, uh, in their nickel package, does Otis stay out there? Is it Smith and Aboigby out there? Do you have a specialist type up front that you're considering right now that could impact that situation? Again, the moving pieces starting with that defensive line. Yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens up front um, because when thinking about this, my mind kind of automatically went to a guy like Jamil Burroughs who's no longer on the team. Um, you know, he was someone that, a lot of people, especially the players that talked to us, they've been really high on from a pass rush standpoint. And I think that's a guy that could have thrived in the um, just your nickel and your dime looks. But uh, I think I think Otis, with the way he's continued to just drop weight and look like a healthy playing weight, can can play in the nickel. Um, I think a boy being Tim Smith make a lot of sense though. And then for me, I think a guy that we'll see in some of those sub packages. Uh, a lot is a guy like Jamarian Latham. You know, we saw him as the lone defensive lineman in Alabama's dime defense. Um, when they would do the rabbits, when they would throw the rabbits package out there, I think he can do that in the nickel too. So I think, I think they have options. I think a boy being Smith make a ton of sense there, but I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, Jamarian Latham, maybe some of those young guys like a Damon Payne, or um, maybe we see a Monkel Goodwine or somebody else. He'll get opportunity. Maybe James Smith, if he continues to make progress, I think he's a guy that now with Burroughs going, could could definitely 
um, benefit from that those open reps. So Alabama has options, but those guys that are at the top of the pack in order to make the most sense. It's just then you get to those rotational spots, and we'll see how some of those guys develop. Yeah, I think the dime nose tackle option will be interesting because the smart money would seem to be on a Boyd B. Uh, Smith, you mentioned Jamarian Latham, uh, that could certainly factor into that as well. But there is still opportunities there for other guys that you outlined, especially with Burroughs no longer being a part of this Alabama program. So uh, those X factors that could extend into a true freshman or uh, a, a guy that's developing. I, I thought Michael Goodwine in the 8A game, watching that one multiple times over, I thought he showed you some potential. Is it right now? Is he already to that point? Well, I think he's going to get an opportunity, at least in fall camp, to show that you know, I may not be your first option, maybe not even your second, but if you want to stay fresh, you can put me out there in some pass rush situations and I can help in that regard. Now, outside linebacker, as we know, how it goes from base to nickel uh, to the dime package and you know how guys like Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell, who can, can both be incorporated in this defense, this is a defense in recent years. They, they've liked to play those two outside linebackers together even in the nickel on early downs, when you would typically see one of them out there with a defensive end on the other side and a couple of guys inside, um, Anthony Jennings, Terrell Lewis come to mind a few years back. And then here most recently with Dallas and Will Anderson. So, um, you know, I, I saw on the roster, I think Chris Braswell, is he listed at 255 pounds right now? I mean, if that's true, that's a big number for a guy who showed up at Alabama in 2020 desperately in need of bulk and muscle. No, that was the point that I was going to make because he and Jahad Campbell were on a podcast recently. I think it was football bill. I, I want to make sure we give them proper credit, but, um, and he just looked bigger. <laughs> so yeah. the, the thing that I was going to mention is you have Will Anderson on the field, but Will obviously uh, came in as a guy that can make an immediate impact guy on the field. He had a mass in the course of his career. And Dallas is, is no small dude by any stretch of the imagination. So uh, I think when you have dynamic players like that, you want to have them on the field as much as possible. You know, that cuts into some of your defensive line time. But I think now with Chris Braswell as the projected starter opposite Turner and just seeing the tree trunks of legs that he has and the mass that he seems to put on his frame, um, he, can, he can withstand some of that. And that's one of the big questions about you know, these outside backers. I, I think – from a, a standpoint of a pass rush, they can they can do that. I, I think we saw that from Chris Braswell. Uh, you expect that from some of these outside linebackers because they come in as former five stars. You know, some of them come in a little lean and they they add to that, but they can get after the passer, no doubt. But you know, how can they perform in run support? And I think with Braswell, you know, continuing to develop his body over the course of his career. And to learn the defense and see more to be more comfortable in a player that the coaches trust first and foremost, I think he can be on the field in some of these um, you know nickel situations and early down situations. So yeah, I, I think that's certainly possible. I think that's that's a good thing to have. You don't want to have to employ it all the time because you know, like we've been alluding to in early down situations, you're looking to stop the run first and foremost, um, and maybe you want a bigger body out there. But I think with the way that Braswell has. Um, just grown. I, I think he can certainly uh, play that part if needed. And a lot of fans are going to want to see Keon Keeley, the five-star freshman, summer enrollee, Yonzi Pierre, similar little, similarly to that. 
at the edge, but don't sleep on guys like Q Robinson and Keanu Coot, um, uh, Jeremiah Alexander. Um, you got a young, talented guy that was there in the spring and, and Quay Russo uh, that could factor into things. So still a lot of depth, a lot of quality there, but certainly it starts with Braswell and Turner at the top of that depth chart and how they go about utilizing those two guys together will be fascinating. Once again, the inside linebacker competition, as it goes from package to package, we talked about expectations for Lawson. I think first and foremost, can he have a healthy run uh, through the 2023 season? Because he's had some bumps uh, from a health perspective in his first couple of seasons. And, you know, here's the thing about Nick Saban. We'll talk about this with the secondary too. And I've said it before. Nick Saban isn't a, well, I hope, I hope our guys are ready or, you know, we think they'll be ready. If there's any question, Nick goes to the transfer portal and gets Trez Marshall. He goes to the junior college ranks and gets Justin Jefferson. Again, very well might be Deontay. That's the every down guy. Uh, but Saban's never going to find himself in a position of being unpleasantly surprised. As he said many times before, he doesn't like surprises of any kind. So uh, I guess it starts with Deontay, um, Charlie, and then Jihad Campbell, obviously, just a, a really promising young player to go along with those uh, new additions we talked about. Yeah, I think Deontay is a guy that can be an every down player, and they need him to be because he has some explosiveness about him. Um, he spent last season just really learning from Henry Toa Toa. I know that name brings up some, some chills for Alabama fans, but if there's one thing that Henry can hang his hat on is his knowledge of the defense and be able to get everybody lined up. So if Deontay can use his athleticism and then continue to grow as kind of the quarterback of the defense, the, the general, um, then I think the defense will be in good hands. And uh, I do think they need some more aggression at that position um just some just some real dudes and i think deontay lawson can be that but i think opposite him is the most interesting uh, on the defensive side of the ball because overall they just need better play at that position they need more negative plays and they need more consistency and you're right i mean nick saban went out and got a guy in tresman marshall who you know consistency isn't necessarily a, a word you latch on to him just because he hasn't been available with injuries and you know, hopefully this fresh start, he'll be able to stay on the field. But you mentioned him, a guy like Jahad Campbell is going to be tough to keep off of it. And if those are indeed the top two players, I could see sort of that platoon we've seen in the past with guys like Reggie Ragland and then Sean Dion Hamilton and uh, Ruben Foster. It would make a lot of sense if, you know, in your, you know, your, your nickel package um, on third down or in just in Don alone, uh, that a guy like, uh, Jahad Campbell's on the field because he's someone that can, I think, excel in coverage. Um, you know, he's a rangy linebacker uh, that has that explosive ability, and you know, not not quite as much as Braswell, but again, he was in that same podcast, and you can tell he's added mass to his frame as well. So, I think those are your top two candidates there. I, I'm kind of interested to see what else happens if maybe they give some other guys a look because Justin Jefferson is just a missile at the inside linebacker position. Um, I think Sean Murphy is someone that they like a lot and, you know, got some opportunities with the ones in the spring with Lawson out. So they have options. A lot of it's unproven, but I think that if those guys can learn the defense, then the inside linebacker position can get a little bit of a boost from last year. And then from there, it's just, you know, how do we kind of, you know, implement these guys into our, um, you know, base nickel and dime packages. And again, I think they can maybe, 
you go an old school route and, and use sort of that platoon method. Yeah, I, I, all all credit to Henry. You know, as far as a showrunner at the linebacker inside linebacker position, he was excellent. But they yeah. do need more of a physical presence in the middle of the field. They they just do. And I know it's tough in this era of football because the way teams spread you out, throw it around. Uh, you got to be able to play in coverage exceptionally well. I actually think that's an area where Lawson, where Campbell, that will be an upgrade, I think, over the last year or so. You know, last year, Alabama inside linebackers didn't have an interception uh, in 2022. So I, I think that'll be an upgrade, but definitely Jefferson does have that type of potential. He's a guy that you have to account for when he is absolutely on the football field. Let's talk about the secondary before we get out of here, Charlie and – Again, moving pieces, competitions, Kuwait, a certainty at one corner. Uh, I'm going to guess Caleb Downs since he's in what I thought to be anyway a fall camp hype video. I'm going to guess Caleb Downs is a true freshman <laughs> is is what we think he is. Um, Malachi Moore, veteran who can help you in multiple spots. Uh, but Arnold at that one corner, Trey Amos comes in from Louisiana. You got some nice young players there, but obviously looking to bridge the gap a little bit with some of the transfer portal additions, not only at corner, but at safety too. Yeah, the the secondary, for me, I think the position battle at inside linebacker is the most important, but the secondary is kind of the most up in the air because I think they have, at minimum, eight players that can play these six spots. And, you know, Kool-Aid is – entrenched a corner there's no knocking him out of that spot he's going to be an every uh down starter he started all 13 games last year um opposite him though terry arnold makes a lot of sense he started seven games this past season um i think that he can maybe take a big step from you know learning the corner position and really getting his feet wet going into year three in the program but then you bring in a guy like trey amos from the transfer portal and, and you mentioned it earlier nick saban it doesn't do that just for shits and giggles. Um, mm. You know, there's a reason for it. I do think losing a couple corners in the spring of the transfer portal certainly, um, you know, led to that. You want to you know, have the depth and to get a proven guy like that. You can't pass that up. But I think that position will be one that's fascinating to follow. But, you know, say Amos wins that cornerback position opposite of Kool-Aid. Then Karrion could be a guy that you look at in the slotted star. Uh, I think Earl Little is the leader in the clubhouse there. I think he had a great spring, and it's really a shame he didn't get to play with the wins because uh, you had the transfers. They had to move some things around and move Malachi down the slot. But um, you know, he's a guy that. Well, I guess if he wasn't on, if he wasn't not with the twos, then he wouldn't have got that interception that a lot of people were not over. So uh, highlight play for him. But just from a cornerback room uh, perspective, I think those four guys. Um, certainly make a lot of sense. I think they like some of the young guys too. I know, you know, Kai, Des Ricks, uh, Will Hurley all showed some good things in the spring with the twos. But um, really what happens at corner is it's almost kind of like a revolving door between that other cornerback spot and the star position. And then you throw in some of these guys at safety. Uh, Caleb Downs can play star. I think Jalen Key can play star. Maybe a guy like Christian Story could get a look there as well. But um, there's just there's a lot of options, um, and that's just just as the corner before you even break down the safety position. Yeah, I think with Amos and Key, they are the uh, they're the wild cards because I look at both yeah. of them. I look at Amos as more of just a pure corner, and I, I think Key does have several attributes, uh, but I think he is a safety first and foremost. But what they both give you 
is flexibility with all those guys that you outlined, like Arnold, like Malachi Moore, like Downs. They give you flexibility throughout your packages on the defensive side of the ball if it comes down to it. I think Trey Amos and man coverage, the minute he walked on campus outside of Kool-Aid, might be Alabama's best option at that position. So we'll see how it goes. But, Charlie, that's a wrap for the latest edition of the Bama Online Podcast. Always appreciate you joining us here on the show, my man. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.